You are listening to our Monday edition of Make and Multiply. We call these Hear and Obey, where we are reading and discussing and seeking to apply God's Word, the text of Scripture that was just preached on Sunday. Uh, my name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined today by Mark Christensen and Matt Groon. And uh, this is a change from last week. Matt, you were, were you in this room yeah, by yourself? <laughs> Thanks talk, for doing that. Talking to the wall. You know <laughs> it was me. great. I, I listened to it and was... Uh, edified and encouraged by that. Uh, I, I think it's amazing that I was able to not just talk by myself, but which isn't that surprising, but to talk for 25 minutes by myself. What an you, idiot. You're amazed by that? <laughs> well, I was just... Doesn't surprise me. Well, nope. <laughs> it was concerning <laughs> to myself and my family, but other than that, it's fine. But not surprising to any of the rest no, of us. Right. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> you got a lot of good stuff to say. No, thanks for doing that. But yeah. uh, now we've got three of us here today and Mark, you preach this text. Uh, you know, our aim in doing this is not just to re-preach the text because you can go listen to the sermon. Mark preached that well yesterday and that audio is available. Our, th- this is um, as a follow-up and really the point of what we do in our discipleship huddles. It's one thing to hear the preaching of the word and the preaching of God's word is powerful. There's something Um, powerful and effective spirit of God moves through that preaching event when the word is opened up and proclaimed. And and then as hearers of the word, when we participate in that, we receive that, we hear that word that's preached. um, God's word lays claims on us. And now we have a responsibility to walk out and believe his word and Mm -hmm. and be affected by it. And and I think too often it's easy just to hear things. We say this all the time. You can, you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to sermons, you can read blogs, you can intake a lot of information and, and not ever apply it, mm. um, which is a huge danger. And, and so, you know, our goal here is not just to put out more content, but just to be practicing that process of applying the word. So I'm going to read Exodus 17, eight through 16, and um, then we'll do that. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Lord, thank you for your word. We do pray that you would bless the hearing of your word, the believing and receiving of it, the applying of your word. Uh, Sanctify us by your truth, O God. Your word is truth. Amen. Amen. Amalek. This is... uh, this is a shift. I mean, we, we, mm-hmm. one of the things we talk about often when we're making observations, kind of first things we do when we come to the text, what do you notice, what's going on? Um, clearly, there was a shift coming out of Egypt, the Exodus story, the plagues, and the parting of the Red Sea. Then, then they're in the wilderness, and that you've got these three episodes of 
bitter water made sweet, bread from heaven, water from the rock. Those all seem like they go together. This is now armed conflict. This is a a new thing in the book of Exodus. Yeah, and I think when you look at the text, this is something I ran into as I was studying to preach this passage, but what do you do here with these, was it eight verses of, this isn't them grumbling in the wilderness, and this isn't quite yet to Jethro and his plan for Moses to have leaders underneath him. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is this text doing here? And (laughs) something I think... uh, when you guys lead us in um, preaching the word, Ryan, as elders, you guys do a really great job of showing us how to read our Bibles. Mm. Um, so we can look at a text like this and say, okay, this looks random, but really it's not. There's a reason mm. the author you know, put it here. Obviously, they're divinely inspired. And so what is this text? How does that fall into the progression of the narrative? Mm. And so I think what we saw yesterday is that this is the Lord showing his people mercy you know, after those wilderness wanderings, mm. the grumbling, and they're facing a bigger conflict, and yet the Lord still cared for his people, mm. provided protection for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's with those, those first three scenes at post um, the Red Sea uh, victory have in common is, a, is, is grumbling or sin and temptation from within the camp. Um, what this experience, and, and God providing for them, in the midst of that, even, even in the midst of their internal, if you will, sin, what we hear, what we see now is this external threat. So will God, it's one thing to have him, um, sustain them with the the nutrients of, of life in the wilderness, which is miraculous, but will he keep us safe from all the other threats that are out there, external Mm -hmm. threats? Um, and he shows in this text to be just as faithful in that. One thing that stood out to me couple times since reading it and then mark when you preached it again is how like you mentioned it, it's so unprovoked it's so um there's nothing in the text that tells us that you know they just bumped into each other and there was some kerfuffle that led to an outbreak no it just says amalek came and fought with israel they showed up which, which <laughs> they you just, know yeah they, they just want to rumble yeah they just want to throw some they want to throw throw arms but what's interesting is that you know the news of the Exodus probably has not reached very far. I mean, we're only, what, a month, five weeks max from the Exodus experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, Amalek coming out and seeing this, in all, you know, this has to be a very vulnerable group. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, yes, there's 600,000 fighting men, but there are many, many more women and children and livestock. Mm-hmm. This is... yeah. And of those fighting men, they are not trained soldiers. They right. don't have, They're uh, slaves. They've been slaves yes. their entire lives. And I think if you look in that Deuteronomy 25 chapter, when it says the Amalekites did not fear God, the reason they, the author says that there is because they were attacking Israel from behind. The people were straggling, straggling behind the group. Right. Um, yeah. So it's the weak, the vulnerable, right. young children. Yeah. Which um, makes sense. This, you know, the, from a strategic point of view, Amalek sees an easy opportunity yeah. to gain wealth and power, but he finds out quickly that this is the same. So what's my point being the book of Exodus in a lot of senses, if we were to pick out a main theme, we could say it's God revealing himself to the world. Yeah. And he reveals himself to Amalek who didn't know him, who hated him, who comes to war against his people and finds out, mm. <laughs> he finds out quick who these people are. And it's just so 
telling to me that God is continuing to reveal himself through his provision to his people to guard them. And really, uh, you know, this is the first real, um, you know, God is making good on his promises, not just to get Israel out of Egypt, but mm. to bring them to a promised land that is filled with right. God-haters and pagans, that, the, the cursed people of Canaan. And God is bringing his judgment through his people to those nations, and Amalek is mm. one of the first. Mm. Yeah, that, I think keeping that in mind throughout the Exodus, we, we've said this before, now we're at a point where the Exodus technically has happened. They, mm-hmm. they left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's over. There's a lot of the book left. Well, why is there so much of the book that still remains? Because God's purpose wasn't merely, here you go, now you're out of Egypt, now you're off on your own. No, God's purpose was to take a people for himself, for his own possession, to establish them as his people. You, you are my people. I am your God. So to bring them into covenant relationship with himself. Mm-hmm. And so God acting in these ways all along the way is essential. You know, and, and as we see in this a paradigm for God's redemptive saving work, we would emphasize that our salvation is not just that God rescued us out of sin, but that he brings us into the mm-hmm. kingdom of his beloved son, that right. he justifies us and sanctifies us, that, that he's at work in our lives all the way through, that his promises apply to us, that he's our, he our keeper, he's our banner. Him. Yeah, 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 exactly. So um, where is that verse again in Deuteronomy? It's like Deuteronomy 25, eight. I remember you citing that and, and that's helpful and an incredible insight because we don't have that. 2518 mentioned here, but anytime scripture refers back to an event and gives some um, commentary on it, that's insightful. Amalek did not fear God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think back to the song of Moses. If you remember the second half of that song, the first part deals with the Red Sea crossing, the destruction of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. But the second half of the song turns to the future. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You've guided them. And then it goes through. The peoples have heard. They mm. tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. And the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. And the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. So there's this, you know, God has established a reputation for himself by what he did to Pharaoh that all these other kings should, and they are, melting away with fear. Mm-hmm. Except the Amalekites. <laughs> they <laughs> aren't trembling with the appropriate fear. They don't fear God. Yeah. Somehow even if word of the Exodus has gotten to them, um, they think, well, they may have gotten away from Pharaoh, but they can't get away from us. And so really what's at stake still is the glory of God, mm-hmm. like God's protection of his people through the wilderness. Yeah. yeah the, the reality too of, um, yeah, just telling to me that Amalek is like he's described in that Deuteronomy passage as, they did not fear God, like mm-hmm. you're saying, it's the glory of God. And that really is the chief. It tells me that nations are never neutral, right? Mm. Whether in the Old Testament as well as the New, nobody's neutral. Mm. And Amalek wasn't neutral. Now, he thought he was just pursuing this, you know, massive yet ragtag people and was going to take easy advantage of them. And yet, in doing so, he's exposing his disregard mm. for God his disregard for God's world, his disregard for God in general. Mm-hmm. And so, as is going to be, like I was saying earlier, what is going to be the theme, especially in the taking of the land in Joshua, 
is God using his people to bring war against people who have broken covenant with him. He, mm-hmm. he is bringing his judgment on the pagan worlds of, of the day. And it just helps me in thinking, oh, well, Amalek is not just this bystander. He is not a neutral actor in this. He, he, has, a, um, he has an aim and a yeah. love that is misordered. Same thing of the Babylonians and the Assyrians mm-hmm. that God will use. He even uses those nations to bring about judgment to Judah and Israel. And yet in Isaiah, it makes clear that they are going to attribute it to their own strength. Yeah. They're going to attribute it to, look what we have done, and I'm going to deal with that. But it just helps me think, okay, n- nobody's neutral. Yeah. Amalek deserved what he got. It's not a, oh man, he just stumbled upon the wrong people. No, he, he, he is guilty. It's an offense against God. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he's accountable to God. Yeah. You mentioned earlier just fitting this text in with the preceding passages on bread from heaven and water from the rock, those basic life necessities. When you're saying that, just jumping back, I think of the Lord's Prayer. Mm. Um, Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then a couple lines later, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, So we see that happening as they enter the wilderness. God is the God who gives daily bread to his people, supplies water from the rock, so their basic necessities are met, and then delivers them from evil. And it's from the outside. And Mark, I think the way you point out um, that it's it's merciful of God Mm. to do this. It's not like Israel deserved this. There's nothing about them that they merits the opposite. this protection. Yeah, they, they've been unfaithful already. They've already been grumbling and complaining mm-hmm. against God. And yet God miraculously, I think that's the point of the text that, um, you know, here they are attacked and assaulted. And yet God, by his power, I, I thought your outline was helpful. God's power and God's promises. Um, that's what they rely on here. It's God's power by which they prevail mm-hmm. over Amalek. So there, there's real physical safety, just like there was real physical provision of the the bread and the water to eat. Well, now there's an evil force. And like you were saying, um, coming from the outside evil that, that threatens us, it's easy to relate to that. We still live in a sinful fallen world where there are evils that surround us, Mm -hmm. but to see God revealed in this way, not only is he the God who supplies their daily bread, he's their banner, their, their champion who fights for them. Which reflecting on is immediately humbling because Every day, you know, I doubt God's provision, even though he just provided for me the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so considering that God is so merciful towards us, despite our sin, um, I don't, it gives me confidence and gives me faith to obey God, to turn and trust and obey. That's right. Um, even when I just doubted his goodness mm-hmm. a minute ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, and then, you know, so that's helpful, right, as we're thinking through some of the, the more tectonic movements in this text. But then there's just the reality of just the <laughs> how God delivers his people. Mm. Just it just is, you know, he's so it's just so interesting how he has done this. How did he do it in Egypt, right? He he got his hands dirty, right? He was in the war, if you will, with Egypt, displaying his power. He was put the angel of death is the one who put to death the firstborns. Like he, he is involved. Mm. And now over here, instead of sending the angel of death on the Amaleks or Amalekites, he is simply, he's, he's, he's using the people of God, but through Moses's arms yeah. being right. <laughs> like what, what a strange connection. And yet what, it, I mean, ultimately you take all the nuance out of it and what it is, is God being faithful to 
his promises and Moses and the Israelites having to believe his promises. Like mm-hmm. once Moses recognized that when my arms are up mm-hmm. in a, like, like you mentioned, I think that was helpful. Why, like, why did he put his arms up in the first place? What brought that to mm-hmm. his mind in the first place is probably because he was crying out to God, praying, right. save us. And God answers. Mm-hmm. And then he had to do this weird yeah. calculation where, Oh gosh, Oh, look at that. And when, he, when his it's arms go down, correlation. exactly. <laughs> and that had to take time and was, and at the cost of, lives when mm. we hear i was I think we i was talking to this on saturday when we were talking about this and this is what stood out to me the first time i read this was yeah the the realization of his causation of like oh when my arms go down amalek starts to win the battle well this isn't like a push and pull game where mm. just a few yards are taken lives are being mm. lost in the midst of this and the weight that that must have been on on moses to mm. just experience that and then enough to get him to stand there and need support. Yeah. This didn't quite make it in the sermon as we often talk about, but I think it's important to see that it wasn't just Moses saying, I'm going to go up on the hill and you know, see if God does something. But he says, Joshua, get some men and go and fight. And so there's actually, they had skin in the game, Yeah, I guess. Um, could God have saved his people without them going to fight? Sure, he could have. But Moses said, you know, we need to take a step of faith here and send our men out that, like you said, Matt, could very well be killed in battle. Mm. We don't know what the casualties were that day, but mm. um, so there was some kind of acting on the people's part, yeah. but also a trusting in God. Yeah. It wasn't just uh, sitting on the hill and waiting for God to do something, but it's we're going to take steps right. and trust yeah. that God's going to help us. Yeah. I think that stands out to me when you go back to chapter 14 and you think about the Red Sea crossing where Moses mm. said, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Mm. It's very different than here. Take all the fighting men and go out and fight. Um, so it's not just stand here and be silent. Like you said, Matt, God could have just struck Amalek down right. um, without them, but it, it's a warning to us too. We tend to probably think, well, God worked this way once, so he's going to do it that way every time and and oftentimes we can limit god when the reality what we see in scripture is he's he's working in all kinds of different ways you know sometimes he says all right set an ambush here and other times he says you know put the musicians out in front and they're gonna make music and sing and and you know like just walk around the building you, or the town seven times yeah i mean if you if you did a survey of all the battles the people of god fight and the strategies god gives them each one of them you'd see a wide variety of things not mm. this systematic all right well that's the way you always win. Right. And the point being, God is the decisive factor. It's right. by faith right. in God and trusting in God doesn't, like you're saying, Mark, doesn't mean just sit passively by what, what is the action that God calls it takes. That, that's fascinating. Right. I mean, if it was just a particular strategy that God gave every single time, yeah. the temptation of the Israel, especially of Joshua, who seems to be the leader of the army would be, well, that's what's working, right? Is our strategy is, is we're just, you know, yeah. better organized than yeah. the enemy. Um, which you know, later on. So we keep referencing Deuteronomy. It might be helpful to remember. Deuteronomy is going to be, is, is Moses' last sermon to the people um, 40 years later, not to this people described in Exodus, but to their children because they go south. Mm-hmm. And so along, they're on the east side of the Jordan, about to be sent into the promised land to wage war against the Canaanites. And again, like this, this is kind of a um, Exodus 17 is kind of a microcosm of what's about to be the game plan going into taking the land. So it's not just the promise to get them to the promised land. God promises to give them the promised mm-hmm. land and they are going to have to not just 
like when the Red Sea splits, all right, great. Like you actually have to walk mm-hmm. through that and trust that God is going to keep those, the sea parted. And just like God is promising here, now go and take the land uh, and God will give it to you, but you need to go take it. Mm-hmm. And he promises that he is the one and he warns them in Deuteronomy 7 to don't, don't ever come to the conclusion that this is by your hand or by your strength yeah. or by your yeah. might that you are taking it. Yeah. God himself, and like you're mentioning, Ryan, all the different strategies that God employs to bring about the victory in battle just highlights the point that yeah. the key factor here <laughs> is God. not them. Yeah. <laughs> it's God because Deuteronomy 7, uh, uh, Moses is going to say, in fact, God did not pick you because you were the most strategic and the most numerous and the yeah. best. He, God picked, in fact, you're stiff-necked, yeah. as we've seen. You're the least grumbling. and the worst. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it just, in this God is just continuing to make himself known to his people as a faithful God. He's making himself known to the enemies of God that he mm-hmm. wins. And all at, at once, he's getting all the glory for all of it. Yeah. And, and Moses' faith reflected in, Mark, I think that's helpful how you point out, he, part of his plan from the beginning, Joshua, you take men and go fight. I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. I mean, there's that statement is fraught with expectation like mm-hmm. that is not a passive thing that that means something he's gonna be standing there with the staff of god the same staff that with which he struck the rock and water came out the staff that he raised up and the red sea mm-hmm. was parted so this is the staff of god and he's gonna be up there providing aerial support coverage over the battlefield and, and so again just the the faith of moses in mm-hmm. that god is going to work um so but the the contrast imagine joshua going out to actually fight a battle by faith trusting god is gonna give them the victory Moses by faith going up the mountain thinking what what is the correlation between my hands being raised and the victory going on down there when leading up to this text there's no instruction God doesn't say go up to the top of the hill right. and raise your hands Moses just says we're faced with danger go and fight and I'm going to go appeal to God yeah yeah which I think says something about we don't always have step by step instructions in front of us mm-hmm. but yet we know the channels by which God works Mm-hmm. And seeks to bless his people, and so we appeal, you know, we appeal to him in yeah. those ways. You know, moving into application, um, when when I look at a text like this, uh, and I think that's the main point coming away with, like you said yesterday, um, the way Moses responded to this threat, this evil from the outside, is instructive to us. He relied on the power of God. He relied on the promises of God. Th- that's how we respond, whether it's an evil threat from outside of us or sin within us. Um, ultimately, you know, our own sin is, is the biggest problem that we face. And there is a temptation to fall into reliance on methods or mm-hmm. formulas, even things that are, you know, they start out good. Like, oh, here, here are, here's a step-by-step way to have a quiet time or to uh, walk through the process of repentance, you know, repent and believe or yes. fruit to root or whatever. But it's easy to shift from dependence on Christ Jesus, the person, our savior to dependence on this formula. Mm-hmm. Step one, I do this. Step two, I do this. Step three, now I fix the problem. Uh, or to become very problem focused rather than Christ focused. Like here's yeah. the problem and I know what to do with that um, rather than on Christ. So, you know, I'm just speaking personally application that that for me has been a theme lately of Christ and Christ alone is my hope, not mm-hmm. any process or procedure or formula or Mm. steps that are laid out or systematized or Christ and Christ alone, his power. He's the one who wins the victory. So the victory here, you know, God is teaching not just those people in that generation, but 
his people in all generations, including us today, mm. the victory that we enjoy is not won by us, but by God. It's, it's God's power that causes us to prevail, whatever the, the enemy is, whether that's our own sin or, or whatever. So that, that is a, to me, a profound application of this text, reliance on the power of God available to me in Christ. What's, what's stood out to me again, and as we, as we come to the end of that te- this text, of this small section, verse 14, then, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, of Amalek from under, it, er, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Mm. And so they built an altar and they called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. It's just, it, this has come up multiple times now in Exodus where this, I, whether it's hinted at explicitly in ordinances and ceremonies and festivals or in, um, you know, altars or even just think back in Exodus 2 where God says, and God heard and he remembered God is about to act for his people. So this, rem- and then he calls his people in, especially in the Passover in Exodus 12 and then the festival of, uh, boo, not, is it booths? No. Which one? <laughs> the feast <laughs> or the feast of, uh. Unleavened bread? That's it. Wow, that's, that's what I meant. <laughs> but what was that to do? It's functioning to be a, a memorial, a remembrance mm. for you that I think it's, it's gracious of God to set up these structures because he knows our frame. He mm. knows how quick we are to move on. And like, well, the reason why we do podcasts like this, right. how quick we are to move on to the we next forget. thing. Yep. It's in the next thing. And not to linger and let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and have its effect yeah. in us. So these, this book, you know, why do we read this book? Because it's a memorial of the saving mm. works of God. Mm. And that not only that, it's a spiritual work that now has direct application yeah, to my life. Yeah, like there are great old books that we should all read just because. But that's not, doesn't have the effect that this book has. Mm. This book is aimed at me mm. and is getting stuff done by God's spirit in me. And so that's why we read it is because it's, it's, a, it's to be a memorial, it's to be a remembrance of God's work. So that even this story, this miraculous story of the, this battle in the middle of the desert in you know, two, 4,000 years ago, however long, 3,000 years ago, has direct implications to my life. So Ryan, yeah. even as you were just describing, just the fact that we can make application to this text mm. highlights to me, and in the midst of it, God says, oh, you're going to do something right now to remember this in the future. You're going to build an altar. You're going to write it in a book. You're going to recite it in the ears of Joshua that this is what's happening. This is, this is yeah. God acting for us. So it's a call for me to remember, mm. to remember all that God has done, that in the midst of my sin, he is gracious and merciful to save me, both from within, Exodus 16, or 16 and 17, and without here mm-hmm. at the end of 17. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes further, too, uh, with the people of Israel being able to say, the Lord is our banner. Here at this point, he saved us. Later, Isaiah would prophesy about mm. another banner that would come. Mm. Um, and all the nations, mm-hmm. the Amalekites, yeah. the Edomites, all the peoples would look to him. Yeah, stream. And, that, and that's Christ. Yes. So Amen. Christ came, and so Christ is our banner, standing before us, standing mm. in front of us. Um, I think one of the helpful things, just the imagery of that battle, picturing myself on a battlefield, and it's foggy. I can't mm. quite see, but... Christ is always standing there out in front. And so mm. whether it's me just looking up, getting mm. my eyes off of mm-hmm. right in front of myself or others helping me yeah. to look ahead and see the banner. 
Um, it's helpful. That's powerful. Yeah. Christ is the rallying point and, and you know, lots we could say about just Christ being the unifying one. Um, I'll never forget once a friend made this this point years ago, and it's stuck with me always that he said sometimes people wave a a banner called unity they they want to unify people around unity. We should be united mm. for unity's sake and he said you have to the banner you have to wave is Christ, and then everybody who rallies to that banner will be united mm-hmm. Unity is a fruit that comes from rallying to Christ, so right. Christ is the banner um and, and that's that's powerful imagery, like you're saying, when in the fog and the chaos and confusion of, of war or of, of life and onslaught of, you know, craziness of evil in the world, fix our eyes on Christ. He is, he is that banner and, yeah. and he will make sure we never l- lose sight. He'll, he'll always be in view mm-hmm. for us. And you, Ryan, you mentioned, you texted me the other night, the other day about this text, about mm. this imagery. You should remember that? Mm. Of Christ just yeah. with his arms. Yeah. The, the fact that is yeah. to highlight the imagery of Moses. What saved the day was Moses' arms spread wide. Yeah. And that it's Christ's whose arms were spread and nailed to a cross mm. that we now have victory. Mm-hmm. That it is not our victory, just yeah. like it wasn't Moses' victory. Mm. It's Christ's victory. It's yeah. not Israel's victory. It's not our It's Christ's victory over sin and death. The head of the snake has been crushed. That's right. And now we reap the benefits of mm. that victory that that's i mean all of this is what we call typology it's types of christ things pointing to the greater reality of christ but certainly there's plenty of that here in, yeah. in exodus 17 yeah mark thanks for preaching this word yeah, that's, that's i thought excellent. you're you know the way that you made sense of that because i think it's easy to read a line like the lord is our banner and think what does that mean <laughs> and for you to you know make that clear what the significance of a banner on a battlefield um, it, it causes that to take on a lot more meaning for those of us who don't in- immediately identify with that. Because that, clearly that's a significant mm. thing that God is revealing himself historically, but for all his people in all times, this is, this is one of his names, the, the Lord, our banner. Yep. And, and even that line at the end, and, and he will have war with Amalek mm-hmm. from generation to generation. Like God, this is not the first time now, because just in the song of Moses, they sang, the Lord is a warrior, a man of war. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that God is revealing himself in that way, a, a warrior king who fights for his people, what a comfort to our hearts to know. We don't have to fight for ourselves. He fights for us. Um, he accomplishes our redemption and salvation and rescue and deliverance and protects us from evil. And, and he taught us to pray that way. So That's right. deliver us from evil, Lord. Yes. Amen. Amen.